where else can you go and get some popcorn and listen to a sermon like this? All right, we good? All right, I'm going to pray. Just agree with me tonight. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood. And Father, as we pray, we lift up this sermon. And Lord, we just thank you for your word. And as we look into this tonight, it's a very powerful subject of the communion table, the power of the blood. And Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can come together. And I ask you that you would speak through me tonight. Let your Holy Spirit just move upon every person that's going to be hearing this. And that we will be, the Holy Spirit will cause us to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. And speak through me living seeds of truth, the parable of the seed and the sower. Good seed going into good soil. Let your Holy Spirit prepare the soil. And it'll land in good soil and be watered by the Spirit of God. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Let this go out like a sword that penetrates and gets where it needs to go. A mighty hammer that breaks down strongholds of deception. A light that shines and dispels the darkness. Let there be a washing of the water of the word and let the winds of your spirit carry this out among the nations. It will go out and accomplish everything you sent it for it to do, everywhere it's supposed to, in every life. And we thank you for it and we submit it unto you. The Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So all of us together, we agree. In the name of Jesus, we bind up any satanic spirit that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We bind you in the name of Jesus. We command you to back off right now. And Lord, let your mighty angels go and clear that out and get that out of the way. And we thank you, Lord, for everything being accomplished through this in every life that your will to be done. We stand on the promise your word will not return void. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so we're going to get into the word tonight. We're looking at the book of Revelation. And so as we look at this, the book of Revelation, uh, we've been going chapter by chapter, but I'm taking kind of a little break. And I'm dealing with the subject of a deep consecration unto God. And so this is, in some ways, this will be familiar to River of Life. But in other ways, uh, there's some new revelation in here I want to share. But many people that hear this have probably not heard a lot of this content. And so if you look at the book of Acts, it's really interesting because it says that they broke bread weekly. Well, we know that you eat more than once a week, so it was a reference of the communion table. And some people believe that many in the early church took communion every day. I take communion every day. In fact, Smith Wigglesworth was known for taking communion every day. The communion table is very powerful, and when you look in the tabernacle, the table of showbread, which I'll get into later, that was changed out every week. They'd take the 12 loaves of unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, and they would, whatever's left of it, because, you know, the priest could partake of it, but whatever's left would be removed on the Sabbath, and a fresh bread and fresh fruit of the vine was there um, every week. It was a picture and type of collectively coming together around the table of the Lord every week. There's something powerful about it. And you guys have heard me teach on um, the power of covenant. You remember how in the, back in ancient times, a blood covenant was so powerful. And the animal would be cut in half and separated. And the two parties walk in a figure eight through that. And they would come into a blood covenant. 
and it was a very serious thing. It was something for life. It was very powerful. And whenever a blood covenant was made between two parties, at the end of that covenant, there would be a meal that was eaten together that kind of sealed the deal. And so we have, like at Sinai, when God, through Moses, had the children of Israel there, and God appeared on Sinai, and they were scared, remember? And Moses went up the mountain to meet with God. But if this is in your Bible. Some people have never seen this, but Moses, after... He had sprinkled the blood of the covenant on the people, those that would have been in the front, I'm sure would have been the leaders, but he sprinkled the blood of the covenant, and they had those 12 altars where animals were offered, and after they entered into a blood covenant, the Bible says that Moses and Joshua, Aaron and his sons, and the 70 leaders, they all went up the mountain part way, and the Bible says this, this is in your Bible, it says that all those leaders saw God and they did not die. They saw him. And it says that they ate and drank in his presence. I believe them being sprinkled by the blood. That as they went up the mountain. That the blood had been applied to them. And it gave them access like that. But the meal that they were eating was a covenant meal. They were sealing the covenant with that meal. Does that make sense tonight? Well Jesus was going to go to the cross. And I'll explain some of this as we finish out this sermon later. But Jesus took on the night he was betrayed, it was the Passover. The Passover begins at sunset and goes for a 24-hour period. And so at sunset, Jesus, you know, those that were there, there would be a woman that would have lit the candles and welcomed in the Sabbath, and they sat down for a traditional Seder meal. We do an illustrated sermon every year here. And so those that have been with us, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And Jesus, during the course of Passover, instituted Holy Communion. It was, it was an amazing thing, which I'll explain as we go. But what you have to understand is he said this now, this bread, and he was referring to the afikoman bread, which I'll explain later. And this fruit of the vine, he says, represents my body given for you. It represents the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. What, what Christ was giving us was a covenant meal. When you enter into a blood covenant by accepting Christ as your Savior, you're born again, you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you come into a covenant relationship, it is sealed, so to speak, by taking that communion table. Isn't that awesome? And there's a lot more revelation I can give you as we go, but I just wanted to kind of begin to sink our teeth into this, but let me begin by saying Revelation 19.7. It says, I read this last week, I've got a few scriptures I want to go back over again, but it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So there is a marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come. And there is something about a bride that's going to make herself ready. So that's what we're doing as we come together in a period of fasting as a church. We're humbling ourselves, praying, fasting. Fasting is also connected to humbling your body. You're humbling yourself. We're, you know, bringing an offering unto the Lord. And we deeply consecrate our lives. This is extremely powerful. And I believe that this is a way that we're collectively coming together and we are a bride that is making herself ready, 
looking for the soon coming of the Lord. And in Hebrews 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. So it's the blood of Jesus that brings us into the holy of holies, the blood. So when we put an emphasis on the blood, the blood being applied, the blood being reverenced, the blood being sung about, preaching on the blood, teaching people to repent of their sin and be washed in the blood of Jesus. When you reverence the communion table, the, the body and the blood, when you reverence his, what he did for us at Calvary and you put an emphasis on the blood, that is a prerequisite for the glory of God coming down in an awesome way because what gives us access to the glory is the blood. And it says in verse 20, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. So his flesh being pierced, kind of torn open, is it created in the natural that actual veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies being ripped. But it began in his body being torn and then the veil tore. And we have access by his blood into the Holy of Holies. And it says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water which we talked about last week. We talked about our bodies being washed with pure water. There is such a power in water immersion, which we're going to have corporately next week for those that want to participate. But this is a way that we're really consecrating our lives unto God. So tonight I want to put an emphasis on the communion table. So when God wanted to consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests, and he wanted to set them apart that they would be the ones that would be able to go very near the glory of God. The high priest could even go into the Holy of Holies once a year, but Aaron's sons were able to approach right there at the veil and they could worship the Lord. They can burn that incense and pray and worship and they could draw near. God had to consecrate them. And what the Lord did, he had Moses take Aaron and his sons and water immerse every one of them and there was a deep consecration in that water immersion they went through a period where Moses had to take various animals there was a sin offering for their sin but there was also a ram of ordination a ram offering and Moses had to take the blood and he had to place it on the right earlobe of each one of them representing their thought life being pure he had to put it on the right thumb of each one of them, representing the works of their hands being consecrated. And they had to put it on the right big toe on their foot of each of them, representing their walk before God being consecrated. And so Moses had to immerse all of them, but he also had to apply the blood of Jesus, or it, it was a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus, but the blood to their life. The blood is what consecrated those priests. And since the offering was made for their sin, the ram was offered for their ordination, there was a cleansing of the blood, so to speak. Then Moses had to take the oil, 
and he poured the oil over them. He anointed them with oil. He sprinkled it upon them, and they were anointed with that oil, and it said in the word of God that they had to be careful that oil didn't get on any anybody it wasn't supposed to because it was a special thing it was to really set them apart and this isn't part of tonight's sermon but how many of you guys know that we are now the priest of god and peter said that we are a royal priesthood and so what was only at one time aaron and his sons now we are a kingdom of priests and so all of us have a priesthood ministry and so the way that that it was in the old testament foreshadowed what we have in the new now we're on the other side of the cross and so we understand the power of water immersion we understand the power of the blood being applied because it's the blood of jesus all those all that blood of animals was foreshadowing but now we have the fullness and the reality of what that was pointing to we have the blood of jesus to be over our lives and then the anointing with oil, not only being anointed physically with oil, there's power in that to consecrate you, but it speaks of the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so there, in the same way, what God used in the Old Testament, he's still using in the new, but it's through a fulfilled way through Christ that we understand the fullness of what is available to us, that each one of us are a priest unto God, each one of us can be washed and covered in the blood of Jesus. We can be water immersed and consecrated and anointed to be set apart. And it, that's a, a method through which God uses to cleanse us so that we can go deep into the Holy of Holies. He's wanting us to be deeply consecrated. And then last week I shared the scripture in 2 Timothy 2.20 now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels so we see the gold and silver being special but he said there's also vessels of wood and like earthenware like clay he said some to honor and some to dishonor the wood and clay you would just use any time but the silver and gold you would break out for special purposes he said therefore if any of us speak into the church we will cleanse ourselves from these things that we can become a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. How many want to be a vessel of honor that is sanctified? You see, there's a difference. And so this scripture implies that it's available to everybody, but not everybody's necessarily going to do it, you see. And so I don't want to be one of those that's looked at in this context as being like wood and earthenware, I want to be consecrated, sanctified, a vessel that's useful for every good work. All right, and then also in John 1.51, Jesus told Nathaniel when he, when he came to him, he said, I saw you under the tree, and Nathaniel was so shocked that, that the Lord saw him probably praying under a tree. And he said, Jesus said, Nathaniel, if that surprises you, he said, man, there's going to be a lot more things happening that's going to be a lot more impressive than that. Truly, I tell you that you're going to see, look at this, heaven open. The angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So there is something to an open heaven, which I do not have time to preach on tonight. But we know that in many places where things are not right in different ways, there's either sin in the camp, worldliness, whatever, that the enemy can brass the heavens over. And whenever you come into a place where there's a brass heaven, it's difficult to pray, 
It's difficult to worship. How many have ever been in these places? I sure have. It is hard. It's hard to worship. It feels oppressed. There's a brass heaven. But man, how many of you guys know there can be an open heaven? Whenever things are right with God and you begin to worship and pray and come through the blood, the heavens open and God's glory will come in. And through that open heaven, angels ascend and descend. And so I believe as we take time like we're doing in this fast, that we really consecrate our lives unto God and everybody's coming together. We're unifying to do this. We spend time in prayer and fasting and saying, Lord, search me. Is there anything in my life that I need to repent of and let God show you things? And we all do inventory and then we come together at the end of it. And we take communion together in a special way. And we really bring our lives under the blood. My wife and I go through, we anoint everybody with oil. And we're asking God to consecrate you and empower you. And we have water immersion for those that want to participate. Most of the time, most people do because they're just saying, Lord, I just want to go deeper in Christ. I want to consecrate my life. And, and so people come. And the glory of the Lord has always been so special on these times of, of deep consecration i mean the the presence of god that's in that water the as we take communion the power of god in it but as we come together and i've had many times people tell me after the fact i feel so different i feel free i feel clean something changed the whole church feels different what's happening i believe that the heavens are even more open do you see what i'm saying it causes the heavens to be even more open it purges the gates above and there's a deep consecration unto God. So it's a powerful time. And I'm going to give you a few, few things tonight about the communion table as we go. But let me read to you a story about on the road to Emmaus. Those that want to follow along in Luke chapter 24. I believe this is in your notes on it may not be, but if not, just listen. But you can turn to it, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And behold, now Jesus had died on the cross, raised from the dead, and he had many disciples. I'm not just referring to the 12, but he had many that loved him and followed him, and, and they were really grieved that he you know, died on the cross, and they didn't really understand the bigger picture at that time. And it says on this road to Emmaus, Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with, with each other about the things which had, which had just taken place. So they were talking about the crucifixion of Christ. It was Passover. They were discussing these things. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So isn't that interesting? Here Jesus is walking with them on this road to Emmaus, and they don't even know it's the Lord. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with each other as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you only visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here these days? And he said to them, well, what things? And they said, well, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. 
And now the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. And they came, the women came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said to them, he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but they did not see. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in Scripture. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going to go farther. Now remember, they don't even know that this is the Lord yet. And Jesus was acting as though he was going to go on away from them. But they urged him saying, stay with us for it's getting toward the evening and the day is now nearly over. I wonder sometimes if the Lord is starting to go off from maybe a church service or maybe in our lives a little bit and he's testing us to see if we'll say, no, 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 Lord, don't go. Come back. Stay with us. Stay here. If we'll stop for a minute and quit with going through the rest of the church service to just do the things that we always do. If we will stop for a minute and say, Lord, Lord, let your presence come. We'll stop. We'll get on our face. We'll pray, whatever. Just stay here with us. Let your presence stay. But anyway, they said, stay with us, Jesus. So he went in to stay with them, and he had reclined at the table with them. Now, notice this. He reclined at the table with them. Everybody say table. This is important because not only Passover, but I want you to be thinking about the table of showbread in the tabernacle. And I want you to think about a scripture where David said, he's prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And you think about scriptures about the table, okay? And Jesus took the bread. Now, it would have been unleavened bread because in all of Israel for Passover, there was this deep purge of any leaven. In any tiny remaining leaven that was found in a home was brought out into the streets and was burned there was trust me when i tell you there was no leaven in israel at this time okay it was in the midst of the feast of unleavened bread and so jesus reclined at the table and he took unleavened bread and he blessed it breaking it and began giving it to them this sounds familiar doesn't it but doesn't this sound like whenever he administered communion at Passover? And then whenever he broke that bread and gave it to them, all of a sudden it says in verse 31, everybody catching this, right? Jesus blessed it, broke it, gave it to him. And it says in verse 31 that their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he vanished from their sight. There was something that happened here when Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. It was basically like communion here. 
But when they got that bread, maybe they ate it, it doesn't say, but when they got that bread, all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they saw the Lord. They had a revelation of the Lord. And then they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? Isn't that awesome? Let me read that again, verse 32. Once their eyes were opened, Jesus disappeared. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road and he was explaining the scriptures to us and they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those uh, who were with them saying the Lord has really risen and he has appeared to Simon and they began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread that's an interesting scripture to me he was recognized in the breaking of the bread is there something about the communion table that brings a revelation of the Lord I believe that there's a lot to the communion table that probably most of Christendom really doesn't know and I, I think probably a lot that we really don't understand but there is something very deep and very powerful about the communion table when you take the bread and the fruit of the vine you have to understand that even though this is just bread and juice I, I don't believe in you know it actually turns in the flesh and blood that Catholic thing I don't believe that at all this is just bread and juice but it does represent his body and blood and the Lord gets in on that it's a powerful thing when something is set apart unto God as holy like this the Lord gets in on there's an anointing there's a presence of God in what you're doing and when you take this that represents his body and his blood it's going into your stomach it's going into you so what represents his body and blood is going into your body and blood it's a way of deeply consecrating your life and not only that there's something about it where it's like the two becoming one there's some kind of a union with Christ so I'm gonna give you a few things tonight about the communion table which I believe will be a blessing to you and then we're gonna take communion after the sermon we always take communion in river of life early on in the service when we come together we always have the communion table available and those that want to participate we take time at the beginning of service we get the announcements out of the way but you know where we take communion and God spoke to me about that years ago it gives us a chance at the beginning of the service to make sure that we forgive anybody we need to forgive confess and repent of any sin we need to and there's some kind of a very deep consecration that's happening we're coming under the blood and as we come together through the blood I believe it has a lot to do with why there's an open heaven and why the glory is always here so strong and the glory keeps increasing but I believe it has to do with us coming together around the communion table and I also believe there's something to these scriptures. I'm just going to give you things as the Holy Spirit lays in my heart. But do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 
The Apostle Paul was referring to Passover, and he was tell, telling the Corinthian church, he said, you need to keep the feast. He was referring to Passover. But he said, make sure that you purge the yeast out of your life and out of the church. And he was speaking about a man in the church that was sexually immoral and was not repenting of it. He said a little bit of yeast. He's referring to Passover. You guys know enough about Passover to know there's a purging of the yeast out of your life. Okay, there's a, in the natural, those that celebrate Passover, there's a going through the house, there's a getting out any type of yeast out. So there's a purging out. And, you know, symbolically, yeast speaks of sin. And the Apostle Paul was saying to purge the yeast out because he said if you don't, just a little bit of yeast will work through the whole batch of dough. In other words, that one man's sin will defile and affect the entire church. So he's saying to purge the yeast out. I believe that there is something Paul said that don't you know that we're all one lump of bread. I believe with all my heart because I, down through the many, many years I've been doing this, I've seen this. As we come together weekly and we take communion together, there's something supernatural that causes the church to come together and unify. And I don't just mean that we're doing the same thing. It's deeper than that. There's something about what Paul said that we're all one loaf. I believe there's something at the communion table that brings a unification of God's people together spiritually. But at the same time, it helps to purge the yeast out. So if there's, a, if there's sin in the camp, it will help to expose it and drive it out. Do you remember when Jesus, when Judas rather, was exposed and driven out? Do you remember that story? What were they doing? They were eating Passover. And Judas dipped his bread in, with the Lord and he ate of it. And the Bible says Satan entered Judas and he left. There's something about the communion table. If a church will keep the communion table frequently, I believe that it will help to keep us unified, but it also helps keep the wrong element out. It helps keep the yeast out. So let me give you a few things in the notes here. There's something about the communion table that can be used like an intercessor. There was a man I really respect as a powerful ministry of, of deliverance. And those of us that's been in the ministry for very long, you've had to deal with some things. And just like this guy, I mean, I've had so many times that there's been demons manifest and people get delivered of demonic things and but also, you deal not only with that, you deal with family, demonic strongholds and families. But people come to you sometimes because they know that there's something in their home that just isn't quite right. And so you end up going to people's homes and praying over their home. And this book is called Portals to Cleansing. It's a really good book. And this individual that wrote it was talking about cleansing your homes. And I have found, I agree with him, because I have found 
that uh, for the home to be really cleansed spiritually, the most powerful way to go about that is the communion table, the power of the blood. And he talked about that even in the most difficult situations because land and homes can be very defiled spiritually. Maybe there was a murder that happened there. Maybe there was a, you know, some kind of witchcraft that was practiced there. Maybe there was major sexual immorality that took place. Something defiled that land, defiled that home. And because of that, the atmosphere there is unclean. It seems oppressed. And there can even be demonic entities around, roaming around causing problems. But it's just, it's oppressed. It's like spiritually nasty. And he was saying that even in the most difficult situations he went into, he found that as they would pray over the property and what he felt led to do, and I agree with this and I've done this as, as well, is that he would have the owners, they would come together and they would take communion together and then they would take like a shovel and open up the ground and they would by faith, they would agree together that they were putting the body of the Lord and then they would pour out the juice and they say, Lord, we put your body and blood into this land and into this property that we dedicate and consecrate this unto you. Lord, we repent of all the sins that have happened here. This is now holy ground under the blood of Jesus. And we command that anything evil be destroyed and leave this place. And he said that once they started using the communion table and putting an emphasis on the power of the blood of Jesus, that everything dark began to leave very quickly. How many knows there's power in the blood? And so my wife and I, especially because of her testimony, we've come into several situations through the years of things like that, where we had to help people that were going through strange kind of paranormal things. And I, I mean to tell you that I've heard many testimonies now because we wrote a little teaching on it that we have on the website for free about cleansing homes and land. And I always tell people when you move in somewhere to go through that, you know. Well, I've heard multiple people now through the years tell me, Pastor, let me tell you what happened when we did that. And they'll tell me things like this. One guy was saying, he said, Pastor, I've just been having difficulty sleeping since we've moved in. Something, it's hard to pray. Something's not quite right. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, did you pray over the property yet? He said, well, no, I didn't. I said, well, listen, I'm going to print this off and give it to you and I gave him that little teaching and he told me he said pastor we did everything in there we we prayed we did everything when we got in the backyard my wife and I took communion and he said we poured out the juice he said pastor I'm telling you as soon as that juice hit that ground he said I felt the power of God hit me hit that ground he said everything that was not good left at that moment he said it was an awesome moment the power of the blood. So the communion table can be used as an intercessory act. Some people that are intercessors and prayer warriors have physically, physically gone to locations where they felt led to go. You need to be led by the Spirit. Don't do things pridefully and presumptuously. But under the leading of the Holy Spirit, they would maybe go to places where there were uh, you know occult activities of the past or maybe there was violence that took place there and they knew that it defiled an area it opened the door for the demonic and they would go there as a corporate group and they have found as they 
take communion together and they repent before the Lord on behalf of the sin of the land. How many knows the Bible says, if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, what I'll forgive their sin and what? Heal their land, land being healed. As they begin to humble themselves and say, Lord, we repent, we ask forgiveness, Lord, for the sin that has happened here. And they would go through it, whatever it is, and confess it corporately before the Lord. And they would take communion together and they would take the fruit of the vine and dump that out on that land and say, Lord, we repent. They have testified that they felt the power of God as the blood was applied to that land. And it broke the power of the enemy. It shut some kind of a spiritual door that had been opened to the demonic. So there is something about the power of the communion table used as an intercessory act. And with that in mind, there was a lady that goes to a particular church that's pretty powerful. And the pastor there has always taught on the power of communion. He's one of those that takes communion every day and been doing it for many years. I've been doing that since the 90s. And he said that they talk about the communion table. They take it together as a church. And this lady was really, you guys know this story, but anyway, she was saying that her son had gotten so rebellious. He had got, gotten involved in the occult and sexual immorality. He was estranged from her. He, I believe, if I remember right, he got on drugs. He was just really not doing good. She hasn't talked to him in, in a long period of time. And she was just in deep intercession for him. And the Lord spoke to her and said, one lamb per household. And she remembered the, the uh, Passover, rather. She remembered under Moses that the children of Israel were to take one lamb, but that one lamb affected everybody in the household. You guys remember the story. How the blood was shed and the blood was put on the doorpost. And everybody in that whole household came under the blood of the lamb. And God spoke to her and said, one lamb per household. And so she understood what God was saying. So she took communion and she had the elements and she began to really intercede for her son. And as she did, she began to move as an intercessory act on behalf of her son. She took communion on behalf of her and her son and their family blood and as she took communion by faith, by faith, burying communion down into the life of her son and claiming him, something broke. And she said she hadn't talked to him in a very long period of time, but all of a sudden, he calls her out of the clear blue. And he begins to apologize and begins to get emotional. To make a long story short, he repented. He got things right with God and their relationship was restored. And most importantly, his relationship to the Lord was restored. But something, when she took communion on behalf of her family, her son, that bloodline, when she took communion, y'all hear what I'm saying, and buried communion down into the bloodline and claimed her son, something broke in the spirit realm. How many knows that the blood of Jesus speaks in the spirit realm? There's authority in the blood to break the power of the demonic realm. And so as an intercessor, she, she prayed under the leading of the spirit and it broke something off her child. And there's an interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14 that says this. 
that the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the believing wife. That's interesting, isn't it? So you have a situation where you have one spouse that is saved and another spouse that is not. But it says that the believing spouse will have a sanctifying effect on the unbelieving. And then he goes on to give the example, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. But look at this. It says, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. So what happens is when somebody gets saved, a believing spouse, the other spouse has to get saved to go to heaven. But their salvation, that they are in a blood covenant, it brings a sanctifying effect to their spouse. And if they'll begin to really pray for that spouse, that sp spouse will come to know the Lord. And the same thing is true. Those children, they have to accept the Lord for themselves. It's a personal thing. How many knows the gospel is a personal thing? You can't ride somebody else's salvation. That's not what this is saying. But it's saying that if the parents are saved, that God respects your salvation. And God respects your family. He respects your children being saved. And if you will intercede for them, God views your children. He sees your salvation, and he has a great concern for your children. He wants them to be saved. And even though they may not be saved yet, your salvation causes them to have a sanctifying effect before God. How many knows that God will visit your children and your grandchildren? Y'all hear what I'm saying? I hope that people really get this because God's interested in your bloodline. He's interested in the salvation of your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So there is something there. And in a spiritual sense, do you remember Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 5 how he said that the, the husband you know, is to wash his wife with the water of the word and, and um, you know, love his wife as Christ loves the church. We know the scripture. And it says, I speak a mystery as I'm speaking to Christ and his bride. There's something to what I'm saying here. If you can catch this revelation. When you take communion, remember that Christ is the bridegroom and we're the bride. Do you see this scripture? The unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing, right? So hopefully this will make sense. There's something to this. When we take communion, what represents his body and blood is our bridegroom. The authority is going into our body and blood. There's something about our bridegroom sanctifying his bride. It's a powerful thing. And we know that God's interested in household salvation. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. When the jailer got saved, Paul said that you and your household be saved. So the first thing I want to talk about is one lamb per household and how communion can be used as an intercessory act. The second thing I want to talk about is great protection. How I many of you guys know that there is something about bringing your life and your family under the blood that brings great protection? It was the responsibility during the days of Passover, the first Passover under Moses, it was the responsibility of every head of every household to get the lamb, a spotless lamb, 
and to have the blood shed and it was his responsibility to paint the blood over the doorpost of that home and to bring the entire household under the blood there's something about applying the blood of Jesus to our lives every day fresh y'all hear what I'm saying every day to paint the blood over our lives and over our families there's something about that that brings great protection it speaks volumes in the spirit realm you may not see the blood with your natural eye but I'm telling you it's there by faith and the demonic realm sees it very clearly so whenever Moses had them put the blood on the doorpost he told them to use hip hyssop which was a very common weed you know in Israel but you, they would grab like a handful of that grass and rip it up and it would be a paintbrush and they would take the blood that came out on that lamb and they would sprinkle it on that doorpost and maybe paint it there so that it could be visible but what hyssop represents is faith because you apply the blood by faith everybody say by faith it's not something that you do um, as a religious ritual and let me warn against that man this is this is so important what i'm saying i really hope everybody gets this anything that we do can become a dead religious ritual without any power quick the way that you stop something from just being a dead religious ritual is that you use your faith you stop for a moment you think about what you're doing and you use your faith in it so when we take communion together we stop for a moment and we think about the scriptures that have to do with what we're doing and we release our faith that you know what i'm bringing my life and my family under the power of the blood of jesus this has awesome power in the spirit realm. And you release your faith. And using your faith, it causes what you're doing to be extremely powerful. But if you're not careful, you know, we do this every week. I have found personally that people actually grow more fond of it as we do it frequently, that people appreciate it more, that, that it becomes more of an awe and a reverence in what we're doing. But with some certain people, if they're not careful, it can just be something we do every week and they just take it and really don't think about what they're doing. Does that make sense? And thus to them, it just becomes a dead religious ritual. But there's great protection. In Job chapter 1, there's a common scripture where Job, every, every so often, he was like a priest back then over his family. This was way before Moses and all of that. And there was a priesthood back then, kind of in the order of Melchizedek, we don't know a lot about. But people understood that you had to have an animal offering the blood to sanctify your life before God. And so Job, every once in a while, his family would go through a period of feasting and different things. And he really wanted to make sure that everybody in his family were right with God. So he had an altar and he would offer up animals on it and he would bring his family under the blood and he was operating like a priest on behalf of his family and i love this scripture because job the bible says that satan appeared before god with his fallen angels and and god said to job uh, god said to satan rather have you considered job and listen to what the devil said about job he said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge about him, his house, and all that he has on every side? Wow.
if the power of the blood of an animal back in the days way before Moses in the days of Job if the power of that blood protected his entire family from Satan and his forces it created a hedge about him and his family and all that he owned if that blood had power to bring protection how much more so does the blood of Jesus have the power to bring protection to us and our family and all that we have there is a great power in daily coming under the blood of the Lamb. And this pattern is throughout Scripture because every morning and every evening, the priest that, that went in to burn the incense, every morning, every evening, had to shed the blood of a lamb. And they would offer unleavened bread and pour out the fruit of the vine as a libation before the Lord. It was a picture and type. Are y'all getting this? of the blood of the lamb and the communion table every morning and every evening. And then they would go into the holy place. They could partake of the table of showbread. They would trim the menorah, but they would burn that incense there and they would pray. It was so powerful. How many times you read in the Bible where everybody kept up with it? You would read statements like this. Well, around the time of the morning sacrifice, this happened. Around the time of the evening sacrifice, this happened. It was such a powerful thing that people knew that every morning, every evening, there was blood that was being offered. The priest was going in to burn the incense. And so people all over Israel would turn and they would pray around that time and they would face the temple area. And they believed that all their prayers would go up with that priest up through that incense before God. And I believe that that is exactly what happened back then. I really do. But it's a picture and type of what we have now in Christ. Let me tell you, let me put it this way. When we come together as a church and we take communion, it's just like that priest that offered the lamb. He offered up the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. That was just a foreshadowing of what we have. When we come together and we take communion and then we begin to worship, the praise, the worship, the prayer, the intercession, that is like a spiritual incense that goes right up before God. It's awesome, powerful. So it brings great protection. And so there were four cups at Passover, and this to me is kind of like the first cup. What's called the Kiddush. And those of you that remember, as we did, we do a Passover meal every year. So the Kiddush is offered up, and it's, the Kiddush means sanctify. And this is a time of kind of coming under the blood. The third thing I want to talk about is deliverance from satanic oppression. There was a precious lady by the name of Doreen Irvine. And she wrote a book years ago. I, I think she probably has gone home to be with the Lord by now. I'm not sure about that. But she wrote a book called Freed from Witchcraft. She's from England. It's a very powerful book. I recommend if you can find it on Amazon or something to get it and read it because it's her testimony. And it's a very powerful book. And she basically grew up in a, in a dysfunctional family and she ended up on the streets, prostitution, but it led her into a life of witchcraft and ultimately hardcore Satanism. And she came out of that and accepted Christ as her savior. And having accepted Christ as her savior later in life, she began to go to church and listen to this story. She said that she went to church 
And every time they would bring out the communion elements to take communion, she found herself getting up off the floor because something had thrown her violently to the ground and was like knocking the communion away from her. She needed deliverance. I mean, she had come out of Satanism. And she accepted the Lord. She needed to be set free, but many times a lot of churches don't ever deal with that. And this was one of those cases. So every time they brought the communion anywhere around her, something would take over and either knock it away from her, throw her to the ground. It was embarrassing for her. It was frustrating. But do you see that the demonic realm was afraid of the power of the blood? Something in her, y'all catching the power of this? Something in her did not want her taking that communion because there was such power in what would be taking place in her. That the demonic realm knew that there would be a deep consecration in her life, that the blood of Jesus would be applied, and they knew that it would torment them and probably drive many of them out. And so let me finish the story of her. So out of frustration, she went to the pastor there and told her, her situation and I believe it was more of an Anglican church I don't remember for sure but he he was scared of it and didn't know how to help her so she left frustrated and she began to really earnestly cry out to the Lord and the Lord through a series of events brought a powerful Pentecostal preacher to her he cast the devil out of her and she was free but my point in that story is the demons are afraid of the power of the communion table and I have seen through the years pastoring, people have experienced something breaking in their life and they felt something leave them when they took communion. There have been people that have been delivered from things at the communion table. So this at Passover would be cup number two. You guys remember Makot where we, you take the blood uh, or the juice rather and you drip it on the napkin, remember that? And it represents, Makot means deliverance. How God brings deliverance and how the blood of Jesus brings deliverance. And look at Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become an accursed for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings given to Abraham come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Isn't that awesome? So there's something when we take communion and we put an emphasis on the blood that breaks the power of the demonic realm delivering people and bringing our lives under the blood great protection but here's the thing the bible says if you study all this out that there's some kind of a family tree do you remember this in romans the olive tree and the gentiles are engrafted in there's something about god's family tree the nourishing sap of the root system that you're coming into a covenant in Christ Jesus, a blood covenant that even goes back to the covenant cut with Abraham. And the blessings that were given to Abraham come on us. Did y'all catch that? God is wanting us to pass out of all of the negative stuff in our past, in our family bloodline, everything that's not of him, every false religion, every witchcraft occult practice, all the immorality, everything that was, he's wanting all of that to be separated out of our lives and we come into Christ, we're like through death and resurrection into Christ 
and the blessings given to Abraham come on us in that covenant. So great deliverance. So we have great protection, great deliverance. Now that leads us to number four, healing. Many people have been healed while taking communion. I've seen that here a number of times. There's people are healed. Not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And in various capacities, they're healed. And what does the Bible say? It says in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live in the righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. In Isaiah 53, by his stripes, you were healed. You are healed. There's healing. And so this is the third cup of redemption. When Jesus celebrated Passover, you got to understand all those that were there celebrated Passover every year. So they were very familiar with the, what took place throughout the ceremony. And Jesus is having this Passover Seder meal. And after the, the meal part, he, he lifts up the cup. And that would have been the third cup of redemption, this cup, number three. And he took that, what's called the afikoman bread. At the beginning of Passover, there's a bread that's broke. And some of it is wrapped away. It's wrapped, rather, and it's hidden away. It's a game that's played for the children, that the children have to search it out and find it. And later on, it's found by the, a child and brought out. It's resurrected out. And they get a reward for it. But that afikoman bread is so prophetic because, listen to what I'm saying here. It's unleavened bread. Christ is our Passover. His body was without sin. And it's wrapped. It's like wrapped and then buried away. Later, it's resurrected in the meal and it's found by the children. Isn't that something? And afikoman means he is coming. In Greek, and the thing is that people still, many people, I haven't heard where anybody has found how this got in the Seder, but many people have said, we're not even sure how this thing found its way into the Seder to begin with. But Jesus, I believe it was prophetic. Because later on, Jesus was to come on the scene, 1,500 years of celebrating Passover every year. Jesus now, the fulfillment, our Passover lamb has come. He's celebrating Passover with the disciples. And now he's taking that afikoman bread and he blesses it. He breaks it. He said, this is my body. Eat of it. He takes the third cup, the cup of redemption. He holds it up and blesses it. He said, this is now the blood of the new covenant. And you have to understand, this has never happened in Passover before. So all of those that are present are looking at Jesus like, what is he doing? But he took out of Passover and he gave us this covenant meal. And he said, this now represents my body, my blood. Do this in remembrance of me until I come. It's a covenant meal. It's a priestly meal. And Jesus knew Isaiah 53, obviously, that he was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that brought peace was on him, and by his stripes you are healed. 
So this third cup called Haguela in Hebrew means redemption and it has to do with healing. Healing is part of the redemption. It's part of what Jesus paid for on the cross. And I want you to remember that whenever the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, God gave them the Passover meal. And they had to put the blood on the doorposts of the home. There was protection. But the Bible says when they came out of Egypt, in the book of Psalms it says there were none that were sick, none that were feeble among them. Something happened at Passover that strengthened them and healed them. Because you know as well as I do, living the life of a slave, being malnourished, beaten, oppressed, working like they had to, you know that there were many that were sick and feeble among them. But they came out after Passover healed. It also says they plundered Egypt. There was a wealth transfer. So something in the communion table releases healing. And let me just give you a few scriptures. Remember that the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, He lives in us and He gives life to our mortal bodies. Also, inner healing and deliverance many times have a role in physical healing. Let me say that again. Many times, inner healing and or deliverance has a role in the physical healing. And I, I have this in the notes, but I don't have time to really talk much about it, but angels hearken to the word of the Lord. There's something about believing in your heart the word of God and speaking the word with your mouth that moves mountains. And let me tell you, the Bible says this, that the angel of the Lord hearkens to the word of the Lord. When you're speaking the word of the Lord, let me tell you that the angel armies are going to go and enforce the word of God. Not your will, but they will enforce God's word. Amen? There's something about declaring. So whenever we take communion, there's something about by faith that we realize what we're doing and we're declaring the word of God over our situation. We believe in our hearts and we speak it with our mouth. The word of God by faith declared over our lives. Connected to the covenant. For example, Lord, we thank you that you were pierced for our transgressions, bruised for iniquity. The Bible says that we confess our sin. You're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. Look at this. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you as I take this that you wash me in the blood. The Bible says you made him who knew no sin become sin for us, a sin offering. That through him we are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see the power in believing it and speaking it. And also you declare scriptures about healing, about deliverance, about blessings of your life. And the angels of the Lord hearken to the word of the Lord. They hear that. They see where the enemy is resisting your blessing. And they'll go and remove him out of the way. Do you see what I'm saying? Hopefully you caught that. There's victory in spiritual warfare when we're declaring the word of God over our situation. All right. Number five, supernatural provision and blessings. There's seven blessings associated with keeping Passover. 
So you got to understand, when Jesus died on the cross, he did not just die for your sin alone. As I read earlier, he hung on the tree becoming a curse for you. He paid for your deliverance. He took the cat of nine tails on his back. He paid for your healing. And so the Greek word sozo that we use for salvation, which by the way, Jesus' real name, Yeshua, means salvation. But that Greek word for salvation means this. Save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve, prosper, make to do well, make whole. There, it's everything Jesus paid for. And there's a Hebrew word, Yasha, which you know, becomes Jesus' name, Yeshua, that means the same thing. So Jesus paid for your healing. He paid for your deliverance. He paid for your provision. Everything was paid for on the cross. But you have to lay hold of it by faith. And there are seven blessings specifically mentioned with Passover. And I believe that these seven blessings can also be applied to those that will keep the communion table on a regular basis. Let me just read them off. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord will be assigned to take you into your promised land. How many here believe you have a destiny? How many believe that God can send his angel in front of you and make sure you're going to get into your destiny? And everything the devil tries to block your destiny, that that angel will clear it out so you can come into the fullness of your destiny. The second thing promised is that God himself will be an enemy to your enemies. How many wants God to fight your battles? Number three, great prosperity. Number four, removal of sickness. Number five, you will not die prematurely, but you will live the full number of your days. Number six, increase in inheritance. And number seven, restoration. How many knows that God will cause the enemy to have to restore everything he's ever stolen? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. And what did Jesus call the devil? He called him a liar and what? A thief. Whatever the devil stolen, you can go petition God. Lord, I'm asking you for a sevenfold restoration of what the devil has stolen from me. And just remember, as I start closing this out, let me give you a few things, kind of, uh, kind of mysteries, if you will. But just remember this. Jesus, in John chapter 6, the crowds followed Jesus. He had fed the 5,000, and now they followed him over to where he was. And Jesus saw them. Now listen to this story. Read it for yourself. Jesus saw them, and I'm, basic, I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically what he said to them. He said, you're not following me because you believe I'm the Son of God, and you're not following me for the right reasons. He said, you're following me because I performed a miracle in front of your eyes and because I fed you. Whew. Hello? And the crowd started getting offended with him. And so Jesus just goes ahead and just... Well, if they're going to be offended, let's just go ahead. And so he says, I'll tell you what. If you don't eat of my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now, how do you think that's going to go over to a Jewish crowd? And so they all got offended with him, and they all left. There was a lot of people there, guys. Thousands of people. 
They all got offended. If you can get offended. Anyway, they got offended, they left. And then we all know Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you know what? Are you going to leave also? Jesus wasn't going to back down from what he said. But the disciples looked at him and said, well, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. But isn't it interesting, Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink my blood. We know later on that he was referring to the, the communion table, but they would not have known or understood that. How many know sometimes the Lord says things that you don't really understand and you can get offended, but if you'll stay with the Lord for a little while, he will explain them to you. And later on at Passover, whenever the disciples that were there Jesus takes the afikoman bread and breaks it. He takes the third cup of Passover and he says, guys, this is now my body. This represents the blood of the new covenant. There's no doubt in my mind that their, their thoughts went back to the time that he told that crowd, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. But there's something about Jesus said here, he said, I'm the, he also said, I'm the bread of life. Y'all remember that? He said, I am the manna that's come down from heaven. There's something about the communion table that the Lord gets in on it, and it, there's a supernatural element to this. Just like the manna from heaven, this is like a spiritual food with spiritual benefits. Do you know the children of Israel walked through the wilderness and they drank from the rock, but they ate what in the wilderness? They ate the manna every day. And think about this. As, hear what I'm saying. Please catch this mystery and don't miss it. Because the children of Israel ate manna, heavenly food, every day. They lived every day under the glory cloud. And not only did they live under the glory, but the Bible says somehow supernaturally, their feet did not swell, their clothing, their sandals, their clothing didn't wear out. And as they ate of that manna daily and they were under that cloud of glory, there was some kind of a supernatural provision because every time that they really needed water, water would supernaturally be provided for them. Water came from out of that rock Paul said that rock followed them and that rock was Christ. So there's something here. And you know that the, the, the town called Bethel in the Bible, it means house of bread. You, you know where Jesus was born, Bethlehem? Beit Lechem in Hebrew, it means house of bread. Bethel, I'm sorry, means house of God. But Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread. He was destined to be the bread of life, the manna from heaven, and he was going to give us this communion table. Do you all see where I'm going with this? Last couple things. An atmosphere of heaven. Cleansing your home and land, the blood applied. Every day in my home, I take communion. I bring my life, my family under the blood. And I always take a little bit of that juice and pour that out on my property and say, Lord, I bring everything under the blood. And because of reverencing the body and blood of the Lord, 
I believe that that's a large part of the reason why the presence of God is in my home. There's a protection there under the blood. Did you know that once a year, the priest had to go in to the holy place. Now listen to this. I'm not talking about the Holy of Holies yet, but he had to go into the holy place once a year and he would, remember, he'd offer that animal out there and he would bring the blood. And listen to what he had to do. He had to go, you remember that golden altar of incense? He had to go and take some of the blood and put it on the horns of that altar to consecrate that unto God once a year. It consecrated the worship. Because every, every day, the priesthood would go in there and burn that incense. But throughout the year, just the various things, you know, people go through in life. There could be some contamination that kind of crept in there. But once a year, that priest would go in there and he would freshly apply the blood to the worship and consecrate that. Isn't that something? And also that table of showbread. I'm going to give you a couple mysteries. I'm going to close out. So when you were in the outer court, that's where salvation is. That's the, the blood of the lamb. That's the washing of the water. We talked about that last week. We talked about being water immersed. But you go past that first veil into the holy place. I believe personally that first veil has to do with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit takes you deeper in Christ. How many can say after you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was different after that? Yeah. You just, it's supernatural. You go beyond that first veil. And as that priest went into the holy place... To his right was the table of showbread. There was 12 unleavened loaves. There was the fruit of the vine. It was the, obviously the communion table. But it was called the bread of presence there. And here's something. In Hebrew, it's called lechem panim. And the pa, panav means face. So panim is just more than one face. It represents face to face. Like when you sit at a table face to face with somebody. I'm taking you back to road, the road to Emmaus. Where when he broke bread with them, they saw him. There's a revelation of the Lord. There's something about the bread of presence. As we come together every week and we reverence the lechem panim, the bread of presence. We reverence what Jesus did on the cross. And, and we reverence his blood. And we do that corporately. There's something about that that draws the presence of God in this place, a face-to-face, -face, an intimacy with Him. And some people believe that teach um, on how did the, the priests get beyond the veil on Yom Kippur. Some people believe that He took that censer and He stood there and He worshipped and He was supernaturally moved beyond the veil. Could be. But at the end of the day, there's something that happens when we take communion what represents his body and blood goes into us and it helps us to get beyond any personal veil and go right into the glory. But it's the blood. See, in the outer court of the bronze altar where the animals were offered, it was a cubit and a, a half high, which is about waist high, about three feet. That's where the blood was shed. When you went into the holy place, the table of showbread, which represents the communion table, was a cubit and a half. It was about three feet high. And then you went into the Holy of Holies, 
beyond the veil and that priest had to sprinkle that blood there on the mercy seat on Yom Kippur and pray that mercy seat there was a cubit and a half high three feet there's something about getting into the very holy of holies that has to do with from the outer court all the way to the very throne of God into the deep place of God's glory it is the blood it's a trail of blood it's the blood that brings you in are you seeing this so there's something about this that helps purge the church and finally I close with this strength for the battle how many knows we're living in the last days and we need strength for the battle these are perilous times they're going to be difficult times as I'm going through the book of Revelation I personally believe that the rapture will happen before we get into the tribulation you guys know that and I've already explained that but here's the thing that does not mean that we're not going to go through some extremely difficult times between now and the rapture there's going to be very difficult times in the earth there's going to be a lot of things there'll probably be many more pandemics there's probably going to be a lot more violence there's going to be a thick darkness of witchcraft and occult practices and sexual perversions there's going to be a lot of dark evil things going on and we need strength for the battle so here's the story david's mighty men had gotten weary and they ended up in a little town called Nob, and this happened to be where the tabernacle was set up at that time because the tabernacle was mobile and here's something i'll say in passing but the tabernacle was these wood frames overlaid with gold so it was like sticks and it was wrapped in skins we're supposed to be the living breathing walking tabernacles of the lord our skeletal system is like those sticks were wrapped in skin and we house the glory of god's presence but they moved that tabernacle and it was in a place called Nob, and the, the priests were there and saul had come there later and he killed all those priests but before that happened david and his mighty men were weary and they were so weary from all that they were going through and all their travels they got there to the priest at Nob. they were weary and they said don't you have anything to eat and the priest said we don't have anything except the consecrated bread the bread of presence and he said are your have your men have they kept themselves pure he said yes we have and so david the priest gave david and his men the consecrated bread and it gave them strength for the battle I believe that there's something supernatural as we take communion and it goes into your flesh it goes down into your stomach it goes it works its way through your bloodstream it's going into you there's something about this that is giving you strength spiritually speaking when you think about what I'm saying you may leave out of here and you forget about something you did at church about taking communion but you have to understand there's still communion in your body there's something about that in you that as you leave out of here i promise you the demonic realm sees something that has happened to you spiritually and they see something about the body and blood of the lord that has been applied in your life fresh they see it but it also is strengthening you 
Joshua and Caleb retained their youth and strength eating manna throughout the wilderness. And remember that in Corinthians, Paul said that there were many that were sick and feeble because they did not reverence the table of the Lord the way they should. They were taking it in an unworthy manner. Here's what I believe that they were primarily doing. They had come together and they were supposed to be taking communion, but just because they were hungry, they were just eating the bread and drinking the fruit of the vine out of hunger. And Paul said, guys, you can eat at home. He said, when you come together, you need to reverence the table of the Lord. You need to realize what you're doing. You're not just gulping down food here. You're, it's the communion table. And they were, because they weren't reverencing it, they were not receiving the benefits of healing and the protection and what they needed. And because of that, some of them were getting sick and dying prematurely, having not reverenced the table of the Lord. And maybe some of them were doing it in an ungodly way and it brought judgment. That can happen. I mean, you guys know you go in here and take a communion table and then somebody goes out and they're having an adulterous affair and they're not repenting and then they're coming back in and taking communion, going back out to that adulterous affair. God's not going to play that. That can bring judgment in people's lives of sickness and premature death. So I believe as we are on our way out, I believe that we're living in the last days. The coming of the Lord is near. We need to be a bride that has made herself ready, deeply consecrating our lives. But just as Israel was on their way out of Egypt, it was time. They'd been here like 400 years. They, it was time to go. God gave them Passover that they could come out by the blood of the Lamb. In the same way, I believe God is drawing us back to the communion table in these latter days. It's part of getting us ready to meet the Lord in the air because he said do this in remembrance of me till I come there's something about this that we remember the Lord and those of you that are familiar with the betrothal cup and all that the Jewish ancient Jewish weddings remember I talked about the fruit of the vine they would drink of it and then he would go prepare a place there's something about this that's a betrothal cup that we're looking for his soon coming we need to be wise virgins with extra oil, wearing a veil. We're veiled. We're living a consecrated life, but we're looking for his coming. So here's what I'm going to do to close out. I want to take communion together. And those that are joining us in the sermon through video, maybe you're live streaming it through Facebook or whatever, if you want to join us, you can. Just get uh, some bread, get some fruit of the vine. Let's go ahead and pass that out. And I want us to take communion together. Can just leave those recordings going let's go ahead and add this to the recordings okay
So let's take a moment as you get this to, as the Bible says, to examine yourself. Under the old covenant, the priest had to wash their hands and feet before they went in to where the table of showbread was. It was a picture and type of what we're doing. We're examining ourselves. Make sure that we forgive everybody. Make sure we confess and repent of any sin. Let's make sure we're doing this the right way. So, Lord, we just pray as we take communion, bring things to our mind. Again, is there anybody to forgive? Is there any sin to confess? Anything we need to deal with? We need to make sure our hearts are pure, that we don't let any unforgiveness, anything creep in. We don't need to allow anything in our lives that would hinder our walk with God. Bring it to our minds in Jesus' name. Just take a moment to pray. as we take this tonight we're going to take communion together and I'm going to speak a blessing there's something about this and speaking the blessing that's very powerful you remember when Abraham appeared before Melchizedek they took communion together and then Melchizedek blessed him after that Abram had an encounter with God his name was changed things began to move forward there's something about that's very powerful so, Lord, as we take communion tonight, this is like a table in the presence of our enemies in these latter days. We thank you. We remember on the night you were betrayed, Lord. You had that Passover meal with your disciples. It would have been such a special time. Of a woman of the house would have lit the candles and, and spoke the blessing and invited the presence of the Lord. And everybody there would have sat down and gone through the whole Passover Seder. But in the course of the meal, you took that afikoman bread that had been found and brought to you and you held it up and blessed it in Hebrew obviously blessed you Lord of God King Universe who gives us the bread from the earth and Lord we thank you that you are our bread of life Lord that you were born in Bethlehem the house of bread you are truly the manna that's come down from heaven and Lord, how you bore in your body our sin. And Lord, in your body you paid for our sickness. Then you took that third cup, the cup of redemption, the goela. And you would have blessed it also in Hebrew. Bless you, Lord of God, King Universe, who created the fruit of the vine. And Lord, as we read tonight, we think your blood has inaugurated a new and living way. The blood of the new covenant in Christ. And Lord, as we take this tonight, we forgive everybody that's wronged or disappointed or hurt us. Any misunderstandings, whatever it is, any area, we forgive. We don't want any unforgiveness. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for any area of our lives. Pride, fears, rebellion, lusts, idols, greed, sins of the mouth, sins of the heart any dishonesty, dishonoring parents, anything, Lord, that has grieved you in thought, word, or deed, we confess it right now. As people are just doing that on your own, 
we confess it before you we've sinned we ask your forgiveness and the bible says if if we will confess our sin you are faithful and just forgives our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness you born your body our sin we're dead to sin alive and righteousness Lord, we thank you for being washed and covered in the blood so us <clears throat> excuse me us our families all that we own all that we are we bring everything under the awesome power of the blood tonight what represents your body and blood goes into our body and blood the two become one but there's a deep consecration our lives are coming under the blood lord and we thank you for access into the holy of holies by the blood and we also thank you for great deliverance tonight as you hung on the cross you paid for our deliverance cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree that blood that dripped from your body onto the ground paid for our deliverance it's like a passover we drop the blood on the napkin and we remember the power of the blood to deliver us so lord as we take this and apply the blood to our lives we speak right now in the name of Jesus, anything of the devil's kingdom that's been in our lives, we destroy every curse, stronghold, and bondage and work of the devil. We bind it. We command it to leave our lives right now in Jesus' name. We break his power out of people's bodies, out of people's minds and emotions, relationally, any area. We destroy the enemy's works and we bind him. We command him. You will leave God's people right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for deliverance. And we thank you, Lord, for great healing and health. And by your stripes, we were healed. You carried our sicknesses and diseases. Whew. Lord, we thank you that you send your word and heal us. The son of righteousness arises with healing in his wings because we fear the Lord. And Lord, as we chew on this bread tonight and we remember healing you paid for, Lord, let healing virtue flow in every life. Lord, I thank you for healing of skin, healing, vision, hearing, teeth, muscles and bones and joints, Whew. healing of uh, glands, organs, and body systems to work right, blood to flow in health. Lord, that damaged areas be repaired and loss restored pain and sickness to go we speak over all manner of sickness disease and pain in the name of jesus we curse you and we command you to leave people right now in the name of jesus lord let healing come the back of the cross was for our healing it was paid for in full and lord as we take this now and bury this down into us and our families and all that we own though we thank you to visit our children and grandchildren. Lord, let there be breakthroughs in their lives to come to know you and experience great revival in their lives, Lord. We love you, Lord. We do this in remembrance of you until you come in Jesus' name. Just worship the Lord as you take it tonight.
Leave the recordings going for a second. I'm going to speak a blessing. But before I speak this blessing, I want to make sure, Lord, we thank you for the power of what we're doing. I feel the glory of the Lord up here. But listen, it's very important that you know this. You can take communion on your own. You do not have to have a pastor administer it to you. The Bible says as often as you desire. It's something between you and the Lord. You can take it in a hotel room. You can take it at home. You do not have to take it at church. It does not have to be administered by some kind of church leader. All that is just religion, traditions of men. Be honest with you, I think it goes back to Roman Catholicism and that influence that's still there. But you do not have to take it that way. You don't necessarily have to have a certain type of bread or necessarily a certain type of juice. If you'll really pray and be sincere about it, God will honor it. Okay? It's all about sincerity before the Lord. So Lord, I just speak a blessing as we're going to close this out, close out recordings here in a moment. I speak a blessing over all those that are listening to this, that took communion with us. I bless you in the name of Jesus that you will begin to come into the fullness of your destiny in God in every area. I speak that every negative word curse, everything that's been spoken over you, everything that's tried to cripple and hold you back in life, I speak that that be broken off you and fall down and leave you right now in the name of Jesus. But I bless you that you'll come into divine health, that you will come into financial prosperity in life, that you'll have peace and favor with all people, that you'll have victory over every enemy, and the blessings given to Abraham will be evident. That every area in detail of your life, any weakness become a strength, and you will truly enjoy life, enjoy each other, that you'll, be, that you'll have a blessed uh, situation in your job, that the works of your hands is blessed, that you have favor, I bless you to have warmth and love and relationships around you as you truly walk in divine health and prosper. And the blessings given Abraham of exaltation to be the head, not the tail. To have healing health and long life upon the earth. To have reproductiveness and fruitfulness in every area of life. To have prosperity, abundance, and wealth in life. To lend and not have to borrow. Do you have favor with God and man, favors around the righteous like a shield, and victory of every enemy. May the enemies, they come at you in one direction, flee in seven. And may you possess the gates of your enemies. So may, may you come into your inheritance, your promised land, your restoration. And I just say this by the Spirit of God, that there is a restoration for some of you. God is going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. And so the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and establish you in his shown manifest presence. I bless you. I release that out now in Jesus' name to settle upon your people like dew from heaven. And things will begin to move forward from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Okay, we shut down recording. Man, what a presence here. I just feel the glory of the Lord up here. Whew. So we're going to pray for people tonight that want prayer. And remember, next week is deep consecration. 